Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm Jody, one of the pastors here at Clearnote. I'm filling in for Pastor Baker this morning, who we just prayed for, who's lost his father a couple of days ago. And our prayers and our are with Stephen and his family this day. The start of a new year is, of course, the time when we press the refresh button in our lives, or try to, try to make a fresh go of things in the form of New Year's resolutions, those commitments that we make with ourselves that we're going to change something tangible about our life this year that we hope is going to make things better for us. It's going to make us healthier, happier, more productive. There's one resolution, though, that I want all of us to make, both young and old, as a matter of first importance. Something I I can't think of anything better to call us to this morning than this. I want us all to be resolved, before we leave here this morning, to read and meditate upon God's Word every single day of this year. Both privately, individually, and together with our families. Every day, I want us to leave here this morning resolved that that's what we're going to do. God's word is supreme. It has in it everything that we need for life and godliness. And life and godliness cannot be sustained apart from God's word. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Presumably, we're those who believe this, right? That's why we're here. We are Christians, after all. We are people of the book, of this book. And yet I'm convinced, as I look at my own life, as I hear from you, that this book goes woefully neglected on a daily basis in our lives. This is not where we turn every morning. This is not where we turn every evening. This is not what is in our minds, in our hearts. That this goes, this sits on our shelf, unopened and unused most of the time. Brothers and sisters, this is not God's will. He means for us to be continually nourished by the spiritual food of his word. King David is a good example for us in this. He was a man by his own testimony that studied and contemplated, meditated upon the word of God all the day. He wrote an extended poem in honor of God's word to, to talk about all that he benefited from, from it or how, all the benefits that it had for him and for us. His love for God's word. It's a poem that we know as Psalm 119, 176 verses about the, the word of God. That long poem is organized according to the Hebrew alphabet. And each, uh, there's a section or a series of verses that are attached to each letter of the alphabet. This morning we're going to look at one of those sections, section that's called Mem, which is one of the letters of the alphabet. 
It begins with verse 97. As you turn there, it's my prayer that God would use this portion of his word to ignite in us a love and a desire and appetite to each day this year look into, peer into, study, and know God's word better. This is Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. This is God's word, and it is eternally true. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of the Lord. Section Mim begins with David expressing his profound, ardent, heartfelt love for the word of God. He says, oh, how I love your law. Now note the object of David's love. It's obvious, but it's worth saying. The object of David's love is not a girlfriend. It's not a new pickup truck. It's not the latest Apple product. It's not a business plan. It's not any number of lesser things. He has set his affections on the word of God. It's his love. That's what David loves. And so he set his affections on the very best of things, the thing that stands to benefit him most, the thing that is accompanied or attended with the the greatest promises and advantages, the thing that is truest in this world the thing which is most satisfying, the thing that can truly open up your mind to understand things, to enlighten you, strengthen you, comfort you, help you. David has set his affections, his love, on the very best of things, on God's word. Now this is a shame to us. Now, if David, the psalmist, were to follow you around, have followed you around, let's say this last year, and been with you in every moment, gotten into your mind and observed you carefully, and then were to write the Psalm 119 of your life this past year, how would it read? In truth, if we were to get it, open it up to the Psalm, of Psalm 119 of your life this year, what would we find here this morning? Oh, how Jody loves, or has loved this year. Oh, how it is his meditation all the day. What would, the, what would we have to fill in the blank with if it, if it was you? Oh, how you love this thing. What would that be? Would it be the Bible? That most precious of gifts? That thing that called you out or called out to you rather when you were lost? That accurately diagnosed you? That thing that gave birth to you? That thing which told you about Jesus, introduced you to your Savior, 
the one who could save you from your sins and spare you from the wrath of God? Would it be the Bible? Would the Psalm 19 or 119 of your life be about God's word or would it be about something else? What do you love? What is your meditation all the day? Is it the word of God? J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite Christian writers from history, said that next to praying, there is nothing so important in practical religion as Bible reading. By reading that book, we may learn what to believe, what to be, and what to do, how to live with comfort, and how to die in peace. Happy is that man who possesses a Bible. I trust that all of us possess a Bible. That's a good thing. Happier still is he who reads it. And happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and practice. King David knew such happiness as that. He was the happiest of men. Do you know that happiness is the word of God your love? Well, in verses 98 to 100, we see David listing for us some of the remarkable advantages or benefits that he received from daily applying himself to God's word. It made him, he said in verse 98, wiser than his enemies. In verse, in verse 99, more insightful than his teachers. And in verse 100, more understanding than the aged. So clinging to God's commandments made David wiser, he says, than his enemies. It's true that embracing God's word Having faith, putting our faith and trust in God's word is what gives us those enemies in the first place. It's what brings us in conflict with Satan, with the world. When we, when we accept God's word and the doctrines of it, we come to know God through it, that brings enemies into our lives, brings us into conflict with them. But that same word gives us exactly what we need to overcome them, to defeat them, to triumph over them. God's word is powerful. It makes foolish the so-called wisdom of this world. It exposes it to be just dumb foolishness. It shames it. It brings it to nothing. There is no craft or art or scheme of the enemy that is able to stand against the wisdom of this book. It is divinely powerful, it says, for the destruction of fortresses. Nothing can stand against it. Jesus wielded biblical wisdom very simply, very simple words that came from God's word, and he triumphed over Satan, the great tempter in the wilderness, when he was in a point of great weakness and susceptibility. And just like that, after three little verses of scripture aptly used, Satan fled from Jesus. And then again, using basic logic that comes from Psalm 110, Jesus so entrapped and befounded. Is that a word, befounded? I don't know. What's the word? What? Confounded. There you go. Confounded his opponents, the Pharisees, in an argument, just with simple logic from Psalm 110, such that no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare that from that day on to ask him another question. That's powerful. The same wisdom 
that Jesus used is available to you. It's right here in God's word. Now, of course, acquiring that wisdom requires work on your part. We have to open it. We have to desire it. We have to look for it. But if we do, we will find that all the weapons that we need for effective conquering, for combat against evil, for arguments against the vain philosophies of this world, it's all right here. It's very simple, very profound stuff, very powerful. Arm yourself daily with the wisdom from above, and it will make you wiser than your enemies, and you will not have to fear them. In verse 99, he says that meditating on God's word made him more insightful than his teachers. I don't read this, that David's teachers had failed in their own love for God's word, but it's the expectation of any good teacher that their students are going to surpass them. So David, having been taught God's word, having been a good student of God's word under that teaching, surpassed his teachers. This is the This is what good teaching is, and it's especially so when teaching God's word. It's powerful stuff, and it works generationally in our our homes and our churches. When it's working well, when the church is using it, when the church is opening God's word and reading it, the young people grow up to be better than the old people. If you're an old person, you're thinking, oh, I sure hope so. It's your, it's, your, it's your duty, students, under the teaching, teachers of this church, if you can, to surpass us. That's your duty. That's how you need to think of it. You know that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? You got to think about your pastors this way. We're pretty helpless. Unless you're invested... Unless you're going to God's word as a student of God's word and intent on growing and learning and knowing God through God's word, there's very little that I can accomplish that Tim can accomplish here in the little bit of time that we have with you. It's our goal to lead you to the water, to call you back to God's word. We, we do that the best we can. But unless you're giving yourself to the work, unless you're studying unless you're seeking God yourself privately, then you can't expect really for us to be much use to you. Certainly we fail you all the time as teachers. And you may be frustrated with the lack of growth in your life. You may be frustrated with the lack of warmth for God, love for God that you have in your life. I'll accept my failures in that, Will you accept yours? Are you going to God on a daily basis to seek him in his word? In verse 100, David said that observing the precepts of God made him more understanding than the aged. Age has this way of of producing maturity. There's really no substitute for it. There's a kind of wisdom and a maturity that comes only the hard way, the day-to-day, long, year-after-year way. 
You hit up against problems in your life, and over time, you learn things. Sort of almost inevitable. You can resist this force that God has written into the world, but it's hard to. There's a kind of wisdom that can only come the hard way through age. But the Bible can produce in us an amazing and unexpected perception and wisdom and maturity at a very young age. You just think of Jesus, the example of Jesus. Young people, I really want you to pay attention to this. Think of the example of Jesus as a 12-year-old. Remember him in the temple? His parents brought him up to the temple according to the law, and then they forgot him there. And when they came back, what did they find? They found Jesus sitting in the temple, talking with the teachers there, and they were all amazed at the, 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 the depth of his understanding of God's word, of the, the insight of his questions. They were amazed at his maturity, at his understanding, at his wisdom. It was very uncommon. Now that came because Jesus was a student of, his, of God's word. He did nothing except what God commanded him to do. How, how did he know what God commanded him to do? Well, he read God's word. Jesus quoted the Bible all the time, showing that he had a very deep understanding of God's word. Jesus is your example, children. Be a student of God's word. Get yourself in the habit daily of reading, studying, and I want you to meditate on it too. I want you to ask your parents and your teachers questions when you don't understand something. I want you to wrestle with the words that you see there and really think about them. And if you do so, you'll find that just like, the Psalm, like Psalm 1 says, you will, from a very young age, you'll be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water that is bearing fruit in a very unlooked for and unexpected but favorable season. It's the season of youth. And you will be a joy to all of us. We will wonder at it and we will give thanks to God for it. And that's possible for you, young boy, young girl, young man, young woman, to be mighty in the scriptures. I challenge you to to seek that this year. Now in verse 101, we learn from David that it is necessary to cast off or renounce the practices of evil in order to love God's word. He writes in 101 that I have restrained my feet from every evil way that, or so that, I may keep your word. Many Christians struggle to read God's word consistently, finding that it is dull and lifeless, kind of a drudgery, something of a locked door. Is that your experience? Well, consider that if this isn't because of some sin in your life that you're willing, unwilling rather, to let go of, to get rid of. The Apostle Peter says in, in his 
first letter, he says that we are to put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now what he's saying is we, there's sins in our lives that until we are ready to renounce them and cast them off and put them aside, we are not going to long for the pure milk of God's word. We're not going to be able to drink of it, eat of it, and we're not going to grow in respect to salvation. So if, if the Bible is like a closed book to you, a drudgery to you, something that you don't have much appetite for, that's really a non-starter in your life, consider whether it's not because you just love sin and you're unwilling to renounce it, repent of it. We have to come to God's word if we're going to benefit from it repentantly. We have to come humbly. We have to come seeking a better way, a better thing. And if we come that way, we will find it. And we will grow. Ask God this year to make all things new for you, to help you put aside envy, strife, and malice, and pride, and all those things that entangle you and prevent you from understanding or knowing God, get in the way, that drown out God's word and keep you from feasting on it. Help, ask him to make things, all things new for you this year so that you can study his word and enjoy it. Well, just as we cast off our evil ways in order to come to benefit from God's word, so we see in verse 102 our vulnerability and our weakness. We need God continually to teach us or we're having found the way, having come to love his word, we will turn aside again to our sin. David says, I have not turned aside from your ordinances. And why? For you yourself have taught me. God's word has this, once we're in it, once it's opened up to us, it has this amazing power to keep us, to instruct us, to protect us, to guard our way. David says he was able to remain faithful or true to God because God had continued to teach him daily. Calvin writes this, it's a rare miracle if any man hold on to his life hold on in his life in a right course. It's a rare miracle if any man hold on in his life in a right course without turning aside in one direction or another. That's a rare miracle, says Calvin. He goes on to say that it's like one in a hundred that stay true to the end. Well, there's, it's absolutely hopeless. If it's rare, it's absolutely hopeless if we are not being guarded and protected and guided by this word. We need God's word to uphold us. And it is able to do so. One of the favorite benedictions that we have here is that he is able to keep you from stumbling. How is he able to keep you from stumbling? Through the words of this book. When we hide them in our hearts, we don't sin against God. 
he is able to preserve us and to keep us faithful to him as we read these words, meditate upon them, feast on them, know them. His word is a lamp to our feet. One of the next verses in the next section is that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Along these lines, the last verse of the passage shows us, this is 104, shows us one of the principal ways God's word teaches us to keep our way pure. It does so by teaching us to hate every false way. David says, from your precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. There's so many false ways, and there's only one true way. There are so many false ways, and yet you and I are too stupid to recognize them. We are so easily led astray. So easily. We don't even know when we're being led astray, except that God teaches us and shows us. If we hope to stay on the path to heaven, we must come to God's word to be taught to recognize what is a false way. But understanding what is a false way is not enough. We must come and be taught to hate every false way. We, God's word teaches us to hate what he hates. It's the only way to know, really, is to come to God's word. And we must learn there from it to hate what is evil. The lies of Satan are so seductive and so powerful, have such a force in our lives, that the only way we will not succumb to them and give in is if we learn to hate them. And God's word can teach you to do that, can teach you to hate what is evil. Lastly, David commends God's word to us in verse 103 because he's tasted it and he's found it to be sweet. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. There is a sweetness to God's word that surpasses the sweetness of honey. One of my favorite sweet flavors is pineapple from Hawaii. I'm fortunate enough to have had it. It's even better in Thailand. I don't want to brag, but I've been to Thailand, and the pineapple there will blow your mind. But if I, I could go on and on about it and try my best to describe that flavor to you, but if you've never had honey, if you've never had pineapple, there is no explaining it. Ima- just imagine putting honey in your mouth. You know that? It's amazing. That is amazing. That stuff it comes from bees. That's amazing. But it's hopeless for me to try to explain that to you. And so it is with God's word. The sweetness of God's word has to be tasted, has to be taken in, has to be experienced, to be understood, to be appreciated, to be savored. There is a delightfulness in hearing and reading and speaking and meditating on God's word, and only, but only a believer only someone who has received it and, and come to know it can, can experience this joy, this delight that God's word holds. A worldling, as they're called, or a hypocrite, can respect God's word, can admire it, can revere it, can even 
find themselves defending its truths against error. But they can't relish it. They can't taste it. They can't delight in it. They can't feast on it. Only a believer can do that. If we have really tasted the kindness of God in his word, the sweetness of it, then we know and, and we, can, we can warmly commend it to others. I love how David puts it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Think about the goodness of the Lord. Think about the goodness of the Lord that we know from Scripture, that we only know from Scripture. What, is, what can be known from nature, as glorious and amazing as nature is, what can be known about God from nature, apart from God's Word? Well, Romans 1, Paul in Romans says, only this, this one thing can be known about God through nature, the wrath of God that he pours out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. (laughs) That's what can be known about God, ultimately, through nature, apart from God's word. And so everything that we know about God, about Jesus Christ, about a redeemer, about a covenant, about grace and kindness and mercy, about his his fatherly adoption of his children— about his Holy Spirit. All of those things we know from this book. Think about the kindness of God, the sweet sweet things of God's word, and let that be a motivation to you to taste and see that the Lord is good this year. Open it up with an eye to, to seeing Jesus Christ and all that is sweet, all that is redemptive, all that is hopeful, that God has for you. Look in, in faith, in hope. It's only in the Bible that we hear of a redeemer, of a substitutionary sacrifice, of the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. There is a sweetness, a balm in the Bible. It is sweet. Let's taste it this year. Maybe you've not tasted the sweetness of God's word because you've been looking there for principles to live by. I grew up in circles where that was the, that was the common theme, the common message that was a list of principles from God's word that will improve something in your life. And there are things that will improve you. Principles are there and they're good and they're helpful. They're even helpful to unbelievers in a worldly way. But if you've gone looking only for principles, you've not tasted the sweetness of Scripture. The sweetness of Scripture is in the person of Jesus Christ, who is on every page, and he's there waiting for us, waiting to reveal himself to us in his word. Maybe you've gone looking for doctrines that you can feel smug about because you know and understand accurately. Well, then you've not tasted the sweetness of God's word. 
the sweetness of God's word is Jesus Christ, our Savior, and he's there. So what do I want? What do I want from us this year? I want us to be resolved that as a matter of first priority, we are going to every day, both privately and in our families, read God's word and meditate on it. All good things that God has for us come through this means of grace. This is the principal means of grace that God has given us, his people. We need to make use of it. So I want us to commit ourselves individually, and then I want us to come to our small groups and and tell next time what we've committed to, what our plan is, and ask each other to hold us accountable. I don't care if your, your leader asks you to do this or not. I just want you to bring it up. And, and say, here's what I'm committing to. Here's how I'm going to try this. I'd really appreciate it if every time we get together, you would ask me how it's going. This is, this is Christian faith 101, brothers and sisters. But a lot of us need to get back to basics. I want us also to read our Bibles together as families more. Let's have more times with our children, with our wives, with our, in our homes, centered around God's word, reading it, studying it. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just read it. And then finally, don't do this out of a sense of slavish duty, but do this with an expectation that he who seeks finds, he who knocks, the door is open to them. That there is sweetness in, this wor- in God's word. If you've not tasted it, believe David, listen to him, and, and seek it for yourself. It's there. And he who seeks finds. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So come to the Bible daily. Come to it often. Meditate on it. And do so believing the truth of God's own invitation, which we heard at the beginning of this service. I'm going to read it again. Ho! Listen up, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Amen.